This is Circulating Ideas. I'm Steve Thomas. My guest today is John Bracken. He is the Executive Director at the Digital Public Library of America. Circulating Ideas is brought to you with support from listeners just like you. Find out how you can help support the show by going to circulatingideas.com slash support. John, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Steve. It's good to see you. Um, you were on... This time I get um, to see your face. Yes. <laughs> um, we don't get to see people's faces much anymore. Um, the last time you were on the show, you were at the Knight Foundation. And we were talking about the, uh, the news challenge there. Um, but now you are at the DPLA. Um, what made you want to take on that new challenge of being executive director there at DPLA? Um... That's a really good question. I think a couple of things. I think one, like a lot of folks, the um, experiences of the 2016 elections and the realities and sort of the conversations that that prompted and questioning that prompted about American democracy and the state of what technology means as a driver of positive or negative change in the growth and the furtherance of the experiment of American democracy that, you know, I remember coming home on election night at two in the morning and just thinking, you know, thinking about, well, my, you know, all of our worlds just changed. What, how's, you know, how do I contribute? How do I contribute more? So that was part of it. And I guess the second part of it, the development of the Digital Public Library of America had been something I'd seen and observed as a human and an American and as a philanthropist out of the corner of my eye from its original idea. And um, a lot of the early founders of it were were friends and colleagues. And so I'd kind of, and they were a grantee at the Knight Foundation. So looking at what DPLA, kind of the, the set of conversations and movements that it grew out of and the larger mission of ensuring that the internet becomes a platform that libraries and museums are able to succeed on and increase access to information felt like just such a pertinent mission that it just kind of all felt like a good, felt like good timing. Good. Um, I I had the uh, previous executive director, Dan Cohen on back in 2014, I think. Um, and I'll, I'll include a link to that episode in the show notes um, so people can ha- kind of hear about the earlier days of DPLA. Um, but how do you feel like it's changed under your tenure just in uh, what a little under three years? Yeah, a little under three years. Um, well, I mean, just, you know, what we were talking about before you, you pressed record, just the degree of which the world has changed just in the last six months, I think, is, has both changed us, but also reaffirmed us. And maybe I would say the same thing over the last three years, right? That the fundamental mission and motivating factor for why we were created, which is to ensure that our institutions are contributing to the expansion of access to technology and knowledge, um, to universal access to knowledge in a digital context, that that's more important. That, That aim, that goal, I feel like we know is more important now than and more on people's minds today than it was six months ago, or even when the first conversations that led to DPLA were created 10 years ago. 
um, you know, I think more pragmatically, what I guess a couple of things that we had to do is one, as a sec, you know, as a young nonprofit, we had to do, we had to right size our, we had to, we had to go through a process where our initial funding didn't align with the work we were doing necessarily. So we, the, you know, the toughest part of the, probably the history of DPLA is we, we went through layoffs and we went through a period where we really had to, um, everyone on the staff had doubled down and did two jobs and we kind of cinched our belts until we were able to secure and make clear kind of uh, what our funding future was going to be. Right. So that was partly what we went through. And then I think, you know, over the last six months, one of the areas we've been able, one thing that's different that we've been able to focus on is we've um, taken the first steps towards developing intentional partnerships and collections and storytelling focused on uh, communities and narratives that traditionally have not been welcome in projects like ours. And in particular right now, uh, the team has been focused on developing out a set of partnerships and collaborations focused on the story of black women activism um, in and around the suffrage movement and coming outside of the suffrage movement. And so that kind of um, focus on a particular topic area and on a set of partners with an eye towards, um, you know, uh, spotlighting and uplifting experiences from the past and making them relevant and part of contemporary discussions is a, is a new area of intentional focus for us. Um, and I guess the other component that's new that we really, that started when that Dan started, but that we really have doubled down on in the, in the last couple of years is making sure that as more and more of the library experience becomes digital, that libraries are part of building that digital future actively. And that's taken the manifestation for us of partnering with a set of collaborations across the U.S. to help grow and extend what started at New York Public Library, a project called Simply E, uh, and a digital ebook and audiobook platform, and helping make sure that libraries and their patrons have access to a library-controlled digital ebook experience. Yeah, your strategic plan um, actually concludes with saying um, American democracy is in turmoil. <laughs> Um, so uh, do, do you see those, that, that, uh, access to technology and a lot of that other stuff you were talking about, is that how libraries and DPLA in particular can work to support democracy? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we collectively and we as an organization, um, bring some unique value, right? I mean, I think the trust that we have as a field and as institutions is so key that allows us to bring people together. Um, and I think in particular, we at DPLA are focused on three different approaches to, to be part of that conversation about democracy. One is ensuring that we build off of the capabilities and the promise that digital technologies have for ensuring access to knowledge. We know more dramatically today than we did six months ago that, that, that those tools and approaches and access are radically unevenly distributed. Um, and in fact, you know, our, built on and exasperate historical cleavages that we've had based on, on race from the founding of the country. I think second, a second sort of fundamental driver of how we do our work is being intentional to include narratives, experiences, and partners who come from communities that 
have not been part of our projects like ours, right? So we've been focused on and we're going to be doing more work intentionally to make sure that we're uplifting and working in a really intentional, proactive way with um, represent with institutions and other types of projects from black and brown and indigenous communities. Um, and I guess the third part of what we do is we, you know, we, you go to dp.la, you'll see 40 million uh, images and t documents and books. Um, none of those sit on our servers. There's not a DPLA server that where those things sit. Everything sits on someone else's servers. So we're a collaborator and a partner. And so everything we, we there's nothing that we do on our own. We're a staff of 12 folks, but everything we do is in partnership. And so making sure that we are, um, just as libraries themselves, you know, are core centers of community, making sure that we're working with our partners, whether it's public libraries or academic institutions or higher ed, or community groups that we're putting ourselves in a position to be a, a good partner that that allows all of us to benefit. That's another kind of core part of how we're approaching the work. Um, and a big a big part of your partnerships um, are your hubs. Um, can you talk? Mm -hmm. uh, let's tell listeners a little bit how the hubs work and kind of the different levels of hubs that there are. Yeah. So what we've built out is a national uh, environment. So again, as I said, we don't own. We don't have any of the documents, but what we what we've built out for our archival work is a set of collaborative state-based um, what we call hubs, which are state-based entities, often housed at um, an institution of higher learning, but sometimes you know setting separately or sometimes as part of a collaboration themselves that serve as the home base for the digital collections of libraries, museums, and archives in their state. Um, so for instance, Digital Commonwealth, which is one of the founding hubs based in Massachusetts, our, our birthplace, um, represents a, you know, a, a conglomeration, a partnership of you know, an array of institutions ranging from Boston Public Library and Harvard University to um, smaller institutions and community-based organizations across across the state of Massachusetts. And so we have a, we've built a network of, at this point, I'll get the exact number wrong, but between 35 and 40 uh, state-based hubs and um, have more in the pipeline that perhaps by the time this airs, we will have added a couple more. And in addition, there's some uh, institutional partners that that serve as hubs in their own might, right? So folks like uh, the Library of Congress, Smithsonian Institution, and some others serve as uh, National Archives, uh, which is the largest contributor to DP.LA, are our institutional partners. And, and you mentioned a couple of new sites. Are you still actively seeking out new sites? We are actively seeking out all sorts of combinations and partnerships but yeah we are in the last few months even during this, these moments of uh you know that we've been going through as a country we've been talking to uh several and our various points of the in process of bringing on new new hubs new states so if folks um, are interested they can email me bracken at dp.la and i'll help have them be part of the conversation so you talked a little bit about the um, ebook library, um, especially Simply E. Can you talk about um, a little bit more about that and about like DPLA Exchange and other kinds of um, yeah ebooks that you're uh, involved with? Yeah. 
So um, at some point in the past, before COVID, uh, maybe five years or so ago, um, New York Public Library, uh, with some support from DPLA and with funding from IMLS, uh, was motivated by the need to ensure that libraries, um, as the the digital face of libraries does not become commodified, right? That this experience, this unique value that we're able to provide as civic entrusted institutions, that if we just let that stand in the hands of commercial providers, we're, we're giving up a huge portion of what makes us unique and what our value is. And so New York Public Library has been leading the foray for the last several years in developing out an app and digital experience initially you know, focused on their readers in their three boroughs. Um, and we have been partnering intentionally, particularly the last two or three years, on helping them make sure that that open source tool and approach is part of a national effort. So we've built out a national advisory board and we're working with a set of growing set of libraries and, and providers um, across the country and growing and nurturing that. Part of our role there also that we've taken on is working with publishers and developing flexible licensing schemes to ensure that both libraries and librarians are able to access titles in ways that serve them and their patrons and that are, you know, both fiscally from a rights perspective and from a financial perspective on sensible and within the mission. And two, ensuring that we are developing agreements with publishers that make sure that authors and creators continue to be able to be uh, compensated for creative works. Um, And so that's been a growing part of of the work we do. And I guess a third component to that work, so in addition to helping to build out the platforms and build out a network um, and, uh, and engaging publishers is We've begun to, um, if you go to uh, freebooks.dp.la, you'll see a set of open source, uh, publicly available uh, books that are available for free download. And then as part of that, we're beginning to also curate public documents, starting with uh, the Mueller report. Uh, we created a book, and the, the the most prominent, with in partnership with the Internet Archive, a linked to digital book, an ebook of the Mueller report, and then we repeated that again with a set of um, papers tied to the uh, impeachment earlier this year. And so, you know, we see an opportunity to bring what we've been doing and collecting and digitizing archival and historical materials and curating book experiences uh, out of public documents as part of this, as part of our ebook work. Um, I know you, um, you, you usually hold um, open board meetings and I know sometimes they're in person, but I know COVID kind of threw that for a loop. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I know you still, ha- you still held a meeting, um, in early June. Is that right? Or early yeah. July, early June, early June. Um, so the first question I want to ask about a couple couple of things you talked about there, but why, why do you hold these open meetings, um, for the board and for the community? What, what are you think, hoping the yeah. community gets out of that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think a couple of things. One is it's part of who we are and how we came to be, right? DPLA was formed out of a set of broad public dialogues that happened, mostly in person, but also through digital submissions. So this larger set of conversations happen. We're here because 
hundreds, maybe thousands of people across the US contributed their ideas and their time and their code to, to bring us to the fore. Second, I think we're you know relatively in the, in the space, our, our field, which is, as you know, can so often be bifurcated. Um, we work across, uh, we're in regular, our, our community ranges from academic institutions to state libraries, to state-based hubs, to growing number of public libraries that we work intentionally with, to folks sort of slightly peripheral to our fields, whether it's in education or civic technology or, or government or policymaking. And so, you know, particularly in COVID, I see great value in leveraging our ability to bring folks together in dialogue and conversation. So for instance, the meeting prior, the community meeting we did prior to uh, July, way back in April, if, if you can remember that far back, we had a state librarian, uh, the state librarian of Texas, Mark Smith, the head of the Sunshine Digital Network, Katie McCormick in Florida, and the head of Broward County Library, uh, Kelvin Watson, in dialogue about what they were experiencing and seeing in their own institutions during the transition to COVID. And so being able to have a public library leader, a, a, an academic librarian, and a state librarian be able to share what they were seeing and putting forward, I think was really valuable. Second, I guess the third component I would say is we've got an awesome board and being able to bring our board into dialogue and have their perspective share out. It feels like you know, just having them in private dialogue with internally, we, are, we would be missing out. We would be cutting people short. So the ability to bring you know, uh, the folks, eight people on our board in the dialogue with our community just is, feels like part of what we should be doing. Yeah. And I think it's great. Like, like you said, you were saying that you bring on, um, guests as well. So it's not just a board meeting and just hearing from the board, but which again, I, I agree with you that, that it's a, it's an amazing board, but, um, you had that one. And then the most recent one, you had Tracy Hall, who's the executive director at ALA in conversation with John Palfrey. Um, so that's, that was an interesting one too. And then at the end, you get the board talking with each other and that, that it's just a great conversation. Thanks. I agree. So if you've got ideas on what to do for the next one, let me know. <laughs> Um, and, and then one of the big topics um, that you spoke about at the beginning um, was how DPLA is working to ensure equity and promoting anti-racism. You talked about that a little bit um, earlier, but yeah. can you talk about what things that DPLA is actively working on in these issues? Because you did mention in that in your talk that you know saying that is one thing, but actually doing things is what really matters. Yeah, we you know the, the strategy that we launched last year, last June had as one of its core components uh, equity and inclusion. And both our board and our community's response was, that's great. Those are really important things to say. What, what does that mean in action, right? And, and our first really intentional four-way on, on that has been a project, the project I mentioned focused on uh, Black women's suffrage that we've been able to undertake with support from um, Melinda Gates's fund, which is called Pivotal, Ventures um, and it's been part of you know part of a process that actually we will be launching a website uh, a microsite focused with putting together a bunch of collections from uh, a handful of partners across the U.S. Uh, in September. So I'll make sure you have the link for that. Um, so the Black Women's Suffrage Project has been the first intentional work around that. Um, I guess second related to that. Our, uh, the core part of our 
hubs community a year ago, a little more than a year ago, when, when, when as our strategy was becoming formed, um, stepped forward as part of our conversations and desired to have an intentional statement about um, practices relating to equity and inclusion, both in terms of collections and in terms of partnerships. And so that community, with our participation, uh, just finished up a year-long process of devising and and approving a what we call an ideas statement, which is also available on our on our website, which serves as a guidepost for a lot of our partners. I you know I would say in the um, two and a half months since the murder of George Floyd, coming on top of all the other Brianna Taylor and all the other experiences all coming together. Um, the, and the social movement that's emerged, that's really been extended through that, through the summer, the, I, like you probably do not have a conversation with one of our previous existing partners where they're, this is not, you know, on the top of their agenda. And in large degrees, they're looking for help and assistance um, of how, you know, our work and most of the institutions, almost exclusively the institutions we've worked with have been white dominant institutions uh, with white, white dominated staff um, and not with a really good, you know, not underselling it, but not with a really good history of practice of working intentionally with, um, black and brown communities in intentional ways. And so we want to be part of the solution, starting with ourselves and and how we think about whom we partner with, where we spend our resources, how we spend our time. Um, and that's part of what we're mapping out right now as we sort of look at the, you know, the rest of the year and into next year. We're really excited about the reactions we've gotten and the partnership we've gotten as part of this first project around black women's suffrage. Um, and like you said, a big part of what we're going to be taking on over the next year is walking that talk that's in our strategy around saying we support equity and inclusion, but what does it mean to be intentional about uplifting stories, about doing the work, about ensuring that um, we're intentionally taking on and knocking down histories of white supremacy and colonialism that are endemic in the institutions that we you know, come from as individuals for the most part, and as, you know, we ourselves grew out of, you know, dominant institutions. So that's what the work is. Luckily, we've got a staff and a board and a community that are in for that. And, um, and, and I should say a funding community that's in for that to support it. And, um, you know, if folk, I mean, we're, we don't have the answers. And part of what we're going to be doing is uh, trying and making mistakes and, and doing the best we can and taking things on uh, over the next year. So we would love if folks have ideas or reactions or critiques. Um, I hope they'll reach out. Yeah. And I, I think, as you said, we're, you're not necessarily going to come up with answers and I think that's correct, but I think what we need to be doing nationwide is holding conversations and starting these things and talking about it. And maybe we'll come to some answers together, but you know, we, we don't need to as, as institutions to say, here's the answer from my library. And, <laughs> We've solved racism. Yeah. Here you go. But it's it's a conversation I mean, that should have happened, you know, for the last yeah. 150 years. <laughs> I mean, one, one of the, exactly. I mean, one, I guess for us, 
a couple of things. I mean, one is an organization based on a mission of access to knowledge and information, you know, we and technology, we see how closely those two come together, right? And I think I have not had a con- any strategic conversation about ebooks and libraries, for instance, that is not at least have some, you know, thread of, if not driven by the the notion of equity and access on digital is something that we've not gotten right. And how do we take that on, right? I've talked to so many public library leaders who are, re- including folks on my board, who are really, who's num- one, among their top is- concerns is that the folks who are coming to the digital part of their library are not the same folks who are coming in the front doors of their branch libraries. And the, the way that the digital approach in terms of content and in terms of the way it's presented is divorced from the type of awareness that drives so much other types of li- cultural awareness and specificity that drives so much other the library work. So for us as a tech company and a tech nonprofit, if we're not, if, if questions of you know, race and equity are not integral to the technology that we're building out, then um, we're not serving our mission. Um, that, that, that I think is the most important one that we should be focusing on. I encourage people to go um, look at that um, exhibition that you guys have. Um, but do you have any other exhibitions up um, now or previously that you would want to um, highlight? We do. I mean, we've got, um, you know, the work that the team has done in the past at building out a set of curated collect sets, um, largely under the frame of what's called the primary source sets, exists and there's some wonderful stories it, you know um there's a collection on black on the black power movement that is vibrant and timely and was timely before may 25th as well um there is a collection on the influenza the great influenza of 1919 um that a lot of folks have been diving in and and looking at um so those are two that come to mind, but you can, if you go to dp.la, you can, you can find a set of collections that, that are, that we and our partners have put together over the years. That's great. Yeah. That, that, that's the good thing about having that network of people is that you have so much to work from <laughs> and you can put uh, different sites together and find things that o- overlap. And um, I, I know I, I'm in Georgia, so I know the digital library of Georgia has so much great stuff in it that we've, we've used locally and it's great that it's, Shout out, DPLA. shout out to DLG, to Toby Graham and Sheila McAllister and everyone in Georgia. I mean, D- Georgia was one of, if not maybe the first state state hub to come on board, and uh, have been in, they've been integral to to us getting to where we are. Um, the, the last thing I wanted to ask is, um, other than you know acting as hubs, which is the biggest way that libraries kind of contribute, um, how can like individual librarians contribute to your work? Yeah, that's a great question. And obviously, in the, this COVID moment, so as we're talking in mid-August, um, you know, one of the things as we plan for the rest of the year, one of the things we're trying to think through is both with the combination of the fiscal crisis and with the fact that, you know, the possibility of so many of our institutions going back to becoming exclusively digital institutions soon, how do we best place ourselves to be part of that work? I will say that we're really lucky we've got a team of about a dozen librarians from across the U.S. who make up what we call our um, curation core, which is a set of librarians who help us um, 
um, process through, think through, design through, and curate the eBooks that we provide in point two. Um, and so folks look at the DPLA curation core and are interested in being part of that. Uh, you can let me know. Um, we're, you know, I, I think, again, you know, nothing at dp.la sits on our servers. So if folks have either, you know, stories that they want to tell or stories that they feel like are not being told, um, I encourage them either through their institutions or directly to reach out to us directly. We are trying to figure out how we can do a better job of serving and creating opportunities during a time of fiscal crisis and a time of so many librarians and archivists being away from their physical materials. What role might we be able to play as either a resource? One, one way we've been trying to do that is through convenings and things like webinars. So we have an upcoming webinar on um, uh, race, power, and curation that we're doing that's uh, September on September 8th. Um, that's going to be focused on the black women's suffrage experience. Um, um, and uh, Dorothy Berry from Harvard is going to be giving the keynote at that. And so, you know, being a convening space and a place to come, for folks to come together to compare notes and to con commune with one another, we feel like is an important opportunity for us. And in the past, DPLA Fest has been our annual gathering point for librarians and our community. And we know that's not going to happen in real space anytime soon. So we're exploring ways we can provide better digital places for people to come together. Um, you, you recently uh, hosted a conversation uh, about eBooks that included publishers and things. Yeah. I, that, I think that was a really valuable one to have as well. Cause that's a conversation again, that libraries need to be having. Yeah, I think, it's, I mean, it, and, and I think, you know, I'm excited and optimistic about the possibility in this moment of when we know that digital access is so important, right? We know that, and unfortunately, we, as we go into this new academic year, we know so many students, the predominant form for so many students, including our kids, is educational materials through digital means. Mm -hmm. and, and I think everyone knows that and gets that. And finding ways for us to come together and create increased access is... You know, I'm optimistic about the ability for us to to bridge a lot of the divides that we see, um, and ensuring that we're able to ensure and maximize access while making sure that we have a sustained ecosystem for the creation and sharing of knowledge and creativity. I think those are not mutually exclusive um, goals, and if uh, we have to do that, and we have to do that right. And I think that there are opportunities. And I think, you know, some of the conversation points that came out of that conversation were, um, you know, Kelvin Watson up from Broward upheld this, that the need for flexible licensing and the possibilities of 52 week terms and things like that, and the willingness of publishers to engage with libraries. Uh, I think that there are possibilities there and we want to continue both doing that in terms of the work and in terms of the conversations that we're provoking. Okay. And um, you can also, of course, support DPLA by making a tax-deductible donation, <laughs> which you can do C3. on the website. Yes. Um, so, John, if anybody has questions that they want to follow up with you on, how can they get in touch with you? I'm Bracken, B-R-A-C-K-E-N, at dp.la. So that's, you know, Digital Public Library of America, dp.la. It's my email. Great. Um, thank you so much for coming on, John, and letting my listeners know about what's going on at DPLA now. And I hope um, you continue your work and 
starting these conversations and keeping them going and being a great source for primary sources and this great community that you've put together. Thank you. Circulating Ideas is produced in the suburbs of Atlanta. Views expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of my place of work or the place of work of guests. For past interviews, visit circulatingideas.com and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or your podcast app of choice, and help others find the show by leaving a rating or a review. You can follow the show on Twitter at CircIdeas or like the show's Facebook page. Theme music is by Pamela Klicka, and the logo is by Shandy Fry. Thanks for listening and keep circulating your ideas.